0: Well, good morning, family, and happy Mother's Day. Good so good to be with you today. If you're new, my name is Drew, and I serve as one of the pastors here at NBC MoCo. And I just got to say, I love this setup by the kids right here—just the crowns and the everything. Just right, there. it's all good. It's Family Worship Sunday. So, uh, hey, this morning we're going to pick up right where we left off in our series last Sunday. Uh, we've been walking through the Book of Mark in our series. It's called "Following Jesus." So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, so you can go ahead and turn there. And kids, I want to invite you, uh, as you already are, to take out your praise packs and use the activity sheets and the different um, items that are in there uh, to keep you engaged throughout the sermon. When I was in high school, I began to realize something was wrong with my vision uh, when I had to squint my eyes uh, in order to see clearly what was displayed on the overhead projector. And kids, I got a picture on the screens here for you guys in case you don't know what an overhead projector (laughs) is. (laughs) And you see, at the time, I ignored uh, the issue. And I didn't take it seriously until I went to get my learner's permit and I failed the eye exam at the MVA. And I was instructed that I needed to wear corrective lenses to legally drive a vehicle. Uh, So I saw an eye doctor and she confirmed I was nearsighted. Uh, meaning I could see great when things were up close, but anything from a distance was uh, really blurry. So when I received my first pair of glasses and wore them for the first time, I was left in awe of how clearly I could see things from a distance. Uh, The glasses had given me 20-20 vision, and it changed my visual perspective on everything around me. In Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, we're going to see two groups of people. Can I see, kids, can I see two fingers real quick? And adults, you guys can join too. Two groups of people that had a hard time seeing Jesus for who he really was. The first group, his is vision is blinded from knowing Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. While the second group's vision grows dim as they follow Jesus but fail to remember who Jesus really is and the tension with both groups is although they could see Jesus with the eyes of their head they were failing to see him with the eyes of their hearts and i realize that some of you this morning might be here either with a clear view of Jesus a dim view of Jesus or a blind view of Jesus whether you're walking with Jesus or exploring Christianity are far from Jesus today, my goal for today's message is to help you understand that Jesus wants you to see him for who he really is. But before we read the text, here's a little context. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus, present, Jesus is presented as the center of the gospel story, as the promised Messiah, and in God's own words, his beloved son with whom he was well pleased. From chapters 1 through 8, as we've studied in recent weeks, Jesus goes from place to place preaching that the kingdom of God was near. And he gave people a foretaste of what that kingdom would look like as he healed people with various sicknesses and disabilities, as he casted out demons, loved the outcasts, calmed the raging seas, and even raised the dead to life. And in response to Jesus' message and example, the people were often amazed or left in awe or even glorified him. And his fame spread throughout the regions he ministered in and in crowds, Uh, of people would want to come near him and see him. You see, many people saw Jesus for who he was. However, some did not. So in the first part of Mark 8, as we reviewed last week, Jesus and his disciples feed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread and fish. And right after this miraculous event, they travel to another location where he interacts with the two groups of people, one that is blinded from seeing Jesus and the other with a dim view of Jesus. So Mark chapter 8, verse 11 through 21, let's start by reading it together, then I'll walk us through it so we can understand what's going on, and I'll close with three applications to think about. So it says, in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them and got back into the boat and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. And then he gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. So aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Like, don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? And do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? In verse 11, we see that a group of men called the Pharisees, uh, religious heavyweights of Jesus' time, approached Jesus attempting to argue with him and demand of him, to, uh, demand of him a sign from heaven to test him. And you see, these men, although they were religious heavyweights of Jesus' time and although they were committed to teaching and practicing the law of God, which for us today is considered the Old Testament, the Pharisees are often por- portrayed in the Gospels as hypocritical and proud opponents of Jesus. Although they kept the law and they observed rituals that they added to the law, their hearts were often far from God. Since Jesus called them out on their unbelief on a few occasions, they weren't huge fans of Jesus. You might remember um, a couple weeks ago in Mark chapter 3, the Pharisees concluded that all the marvelous acts of Jesus were, were a fulfillment of demonic influence. So the Pharisees were known for, filling, for starting uh, stirring up conflict with Jesus. So this passage here is an extension of controversy we see in chapters prior. And the purpose of their request for a sign wasn't necessarily to see another miracle from Jesus. They wanted a direct sign from God to prove Jesus' authority. They wanted evidence not only of Jesus' power, but also of his trustworthiness. So the motivation behind their request was not sincere. Like from the get-go, Jesus saw Jesus knew that they were seeing him with the eyes of their head, but not the eyes of their heart, because they sought to argue with Jesus, and they were demanding of him. Pretty much, kids, these guys bullied Jesus, and for some reason, the mighty acts of Jesus in the chapters prior aren't enough for the Pharisees to trust with their hearts that Jesus was the Son of God. Like, they wanted more proof, but what, el- what, what other proof was there to prove his greatness, it's like, Steph, it's like saying Steph Curry isn't a great uh, shooter in basketball or Adele can't sing or Elon Musk isn't rich. Like just Google them and their credentials are there as well as eyewitnesses who can testify to their greatness. You see, the Pharisees were settled in their unbelief. So regardless of what Jesus said or what Jesus did, they were not sold on trusting him. So Jesus responds to the request with great disappointment and frustration. It says in verse 12 through 13, sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat and went to the other side. Now he asks, when he asks why this generation demands a sign by referring to this generation, he is speaking of all of Israel, not just the Pharisees. He says this because Israel has, as a nation, has a long track record of rejecting God's love and instruction for them through their rebellion and sometimes unbelief. So as a result, Jesus refuses to give them a sign and makes his point very clear in verse 13 by departing from them. And this is such a sad moment. Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee, where he's in, is coming to an end. And he will soon head to Judea to spend the final months of his life leading up to his crucifixion. So this is likely the last time that these religious leaders would be face-to-face with Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus, the Son of God, was physically present before them, and yet they totally missed it. Like their, This was their opportunity, not only to see Jesus with the eyes of their head, but the eyes of their hearts. And I've been wrestling with this question all week, why would Jesus just leave the Pharisees hanging like that? And I'll be honest, as I wrestled, the more I've read this text, I realized that Jesus had provided all the evidence needed up until this point to demonstrate not only his power, but his trustworthiness. In addition, when you read Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 through 12, which is a passage that describes this same event, Matthew indicates that Jesus would give Israel the ultimate sign, which was the resurrection of Jesus. But even still, Jesus knew that some of them would reject his his resurrection in the days to come. So since their hearts were hardened and they were settled in their unbelief, Jesus decides to move on. Then it says in verse 14 through 15, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them. Kids, can I see one finger? One loaf with them in the boat. And then he gives them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And of the leaven of Herod, you see the abrupt departure of Jesus from the Pharisees may have caused the disciples to forget to bring more than one loaf of bread for their journey across the sea. But regardless, the one loaf sets the stage for Jesus to teach them a valuable lesson in verse fifteen. It says Jesus issues a warning. It says, "Watch out!" He says. So, kids, let's let's do this together. Whenever you see a sign that says to beware of something. What is that telling you? To take caution, right? To be careful. Like if you see this sign, it says, warning, beware of what? Dogs, Dogs, right? Or how about this sign? Caution, there's a wet floor, right? Or how about this sign? No, it's a little bit longer. Some big words in there. (laughs) But curbside delivery and to-go parking only. This one isn't for the kids. This one's for the adults, Kids, by a show of hands, how many of you saw your parents park in a curbside spot recently and then run into the store? <laughs> Thanks for being honest, Jonah. So <laughs> hey, look, sometimes giant be packed, so i just be running in, you know. So. All right, but the point is, when Jesus is saying to beware of something, we should pause and listen. And what does he warn them of? To beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But what does that even mean? Now, by show of hands, who here loves bread or any bread-based item, okay? So keep your hands up. Anyone like banana bread by any chance? All right, somewhat. All right, cornbread. All right, yeah, yeah, right, cake. All right, we're a multi-ethnic church here, so how about this? My Latinos, pan dulce? Anybody? Yeah, there we go. Some Nigerian puff puff bread. Yeah, yeah, some chapati. Some Ethiopian injera bread. Yeah, oh, yeah, there we go. Pita bread. And let me hope, I hope I get this right. Some Chinese mantou or mantou, All right, so, all right, there we go. I got some hands. All right, sorry. I'm growing, y'all. I'm growing in my knowledge of leading a multi-ethnic church. But let me stop because honestly, guys, we got nothing to feed y'all. So we'll just stop here. It's not lunch yet. But the point is that bread is either leavened or unleavened. So here's a picture, kids, so you guys can see. And leavened bread contains ingredients that causes the dough to bubble up or rise while unleavened bread is usually flat like a cracker. And a key to getting the dough of bread to rise is just a little bit of leaven resulting in a tasty and soft bread. However, too much leaven can cause the bread to collapse or rupture or or possibly not even taste right. You see in the Bible, leaven is often symbolic of evil. Just a little leaven can cause an entire batch of dough, just as a little leaven can cause an entire batch of dough to rise, A little sin in our lives can spread rapidly throughout our whole life. And when you study the Gospels, it's clear that the leaven Jesus is warning against is false teaching and unbelief. Jesus is warning them to not fall into the same mistakes as the Pharisees who allowed the leaven of unbelief to gradually rise in their hearts, keeping them from seeing Jesus for who he really is. However, the disciples kind of missed the point, though. Verse 16, it says, they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. So some commentators mention it's possible the disciples were so busy talking about the bread problem that they totally just disregarded Jesus' warning to them. Other commentators would argue that Jesus' statement, beware of the the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, was contributing to the argument over the bread. Like the infamous Spider-Man scene, one of my favorites, While pointing the finger at one another, they were distracted from seeing what Jesus was trying to help them to understand. So in verse 17, Jesus responds, aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves, for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? So Jesus responds with five questions. Kids, let me see, five fingers. Five questions to show their lack of spiritual understanding. You see, while they were busy discussing the fact they had no bread, they were having a hard time seeing that Jesus, the bread of life, was in their presence. It's likely that the one bread on the boat is a symbolic reference to Jesus. Therefore, the disciples failed to see that the one loaf they had with them was none other than Jesus himself, and he alone was sufficient to meet their need. The vision of the disciples here is spiritually dim. They weren't seeing Jesus clearly with the eyes of their hearts. And as Jesus described, they had eyes but could not see and ears but could not hear. Their hearts were hardened. Their concern over bread prevented them from remembering the most recent miracle Jesus had just performed alongside of them when feeding 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. I remember when I saw my first uh, 3D film, I went to see Avatar, and around that time, um, The 3D movies were supposed to be the next big thing, all right? Anybody ever see a a 3D film before at the movies? Okay, so, all right. However, when I got my 3D glasses upon entering the room, I thought the glasses were ridiculous. I mean, I don't know who those kids are. You know, it's a random Google image, but they look ridiculous on them too. And because they felt like huge and uncomfortable. So I thought to myself, I'm not wearing these. Like, I'm so close to the screen I got my glasses with 20-20 vision, like, I'm good, I'm straight, like, I don't, I don't need to wear this. However, once the film started, the screen was so blurry. Without the 3D glasses, I could not see the movie as the producers expected me to see it. So when I put the 3D glasses on, the movie ended up being so clear in a far better visual experience. In a similar way, the disciples had front row seats and witnessing Jesus' power and who, he, uh, and who he was. But in that moment, their vision was blurred because they forgot to see Jesus properly. They allowed their present circumstance to supersede Jesus' ability to meet their need and in some ways were behaving like the Pharisees did in their unbelief. So Jesus calls them to remember. Like I had to remember to put on my 3D glasses uh, for the 3D movie experience Jesus calls his disciples to remember who he is by reminding them of his power and his presence. The questions about the miraculous feedings indicated that the disciples had failed to comprehend comprehend the meaning of what they had seen and to discern who Jesus really is. So Jesus walks them through it again to remind them if he could feed thousands with a few loaves, he could most definitely feed 12 with one. The same Jesus that had provided for the thousands was present right with them in the boat. Which leads Jesus to ask the final question in verse 21. Don't you understand yet? Jesus isn't attempting to shame them here, but to train them. As a result of their dim view of Jesus, the emphasis of the word understanding is not meant to be a rebuke. But here it's more of an appeal to see Jesus for who he is. And although the question for the reader might seem like a cliffhanger, the good news here is that Jesus doesn't leave them hanging. We have the rest of the book of Mark where Jesus focuses on teaching and caring for and loving these men. In the chapters to come, the disciples would begin to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, what does this passage mean to us today? Like all this talk about signs and watching out for leavened bread, is this a sign that I need to cut back on my carbs? Is this a sign that I need to change my lunch reservation? Is this a sign that I need to return the cake we got for Mother's Day? No, No. (laughs) good, good, good. Don't throw your Bible at me, all right? I didn't mean to offend you. But in all seriousness, here are three applications I'd like to leave with you this morning for us to see Jesus for who he really is. Point number one, to see Jesus... For who he is, you must trust him as your Lord and Savior. As we reviewed in verse 11 through 13, this is what the first group was lacking. The Pharisees witnessed Jesus in their presence and heard his teaching, but refused to submit to him as Lord. The very Son of God was in their presence, and they could not see. Why? Because they were spiritually blind. To be spiritually blind means to refuse to see Jesus for who he really is. The Bible says people who are spiritually blind reject the teachings of Jesus, are lost in their ways, and are unable to understand the things of God, finding God's word meaningless and often foolish. And who causes this blindness? Second Corinthians 4.4, Paul writes that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Paul is saying here is that Satan is behind spiritual blindness. He's the head of all demons and the father of all lies. And his goal is to lead humans as far as way as possible from knowing God. He and his army of demons seek to tempt and trap and blind people from seeing Jesus for who he really is. So they'll use things like false teachings, a love for the things of this world, and any other means that will cause us to question God's existence or reject his love for us, or neglect his word and lead us to unbelief. You see, left to our own strength, no human can overcome spiritual blindness on their own. Like the Pharisees, you can be so settled in your unbelief that no matter how God presents himself to you, you will choose to reject God's pursuit of you and his love for you. You can be so settled in your unbelief that you re- run the risk of, of God giving you over To your spiritual blindness, just as he did when he departed from the presence of the Pharisees. The Bible teaches that spiritual blindness is the condition of all humanity outside of a relationship with Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is that God has made a way for us to be saved from this condition so that our spiritual sight can be restored and we can see and know Jesus for who he is for all of eternity. And how did he do this? God sent His Son Jesus out of love for the world, to save us for, from our sins in the schemes of Satan that seek to spiritually destroy us. As John chapter one declares, Jesus, who is God, came to our world, the very world He created himself, to bring life to all of humanity, by shining humanity, by shining brightly in the presence of a dark world. And John adds in chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, he adds that Jesus, the true light, gives light to everyone, and he was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus, the light of the world, came down to us, lived a perfectly obedient life to God, died on the cross as the payment for our sin penalty, and rose again three days later, victorious over sin, death, and Satan to offer us the free gift of eternal life. He is the light of the world that can set us free from the darkness of this world. And when we trust him, he forgives us of our sin. And he heals the blindness of our hearts by giving us eyes that see him for who he is for all of eternity. Jesus has given this generation today and generations prior a sign that he alone can rescue us from the consequences of sin and give us life. So the invitation is simple today. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Do you know Jesus? Are you seeing him with the eyes of your heart for who he is? And if you haven't, don't miss this invitation. This is your warning sign. Jesus is saying to you today, beware of the unbelief in me because your eternal destination depends upon it. You see, I don't know what traps or temptations and schemes Satan is using today to lead you away from God. It might be false teaching, might be misconceptions about Jesus, a love for created things over the creator. It might be your pride or your self-righteousness, but whatever is blinding you today, Jesus came to rescue you from it, to restore your sight, save you from eternal death, and offer you eternal life in him. But I realize that some of you might be wondering this morning, well, Drew, if I'm spiritually blind and only God can change my heart, then what am I supposed to do? And here's my answer to you. If you've been sensing a desire to put your trust in Jesus as Lord, to become a follower of Jesus, that may be evidence that God is at work in you. Opening the eyes of your heart to see Jesus for who he truly is. So I encourage you, don't miss this moment like the Pharisees did in Mark chapter eight because your tomorrow is not guaranteed. Jesus, the light of the world, has come to help your heart, your heart see God for who he is and you can trust in Jesus today right where you are. Here's the point, number two. To see Jesus for who he is, you must trust that his presence is with you. My followers of Jesus, listen closely today. We too run the risk of losing sight of who Jesus is, just as the disciples did in the boat. Their bread problem took precedence over the power of Jesus, dimming their view of Jesus, which led to a lack of trust in him. So here's a question for you today Are your problems hindering you from trusting in God's power? Are problems at school, a dating relationship, a friendship, your marriage, Parenting, it's your job, it's your finances, your health, or even a deep sin struggle causing you to question or even forget that God is sovereignly in control and present with you in the midst of the circumstance. Have you elevated your problems so high in your heart that they have become superior to your faith in Jesus? And if that's you today, the invitation as we see in today's text is to turn your gaze back to Jesus, to believe that he is with you and has the power to meet your needs according to his perfect will. He has you. He hears you. He has not left you. So hold on and be comforted by his presence today. Not only did the disciples' circumstance hinder them from trusting in the power of Jesus, but it also distracted them from growing and their understanding of who Jesus was. So that's why Jesus asked the five questions. He was trying to get them to redirect their gaze to him so they could understand that the solution to their problem was right in front of them. And if we're honest, I think we can behave the same way sometimes. Just think for a moment. What is currently distracting you from growing in your spiritual understanding of who Jesus is? What is distracting you from getting to know Jesus deeper? Is your distraction too much Netflix? Is it social media? Is it work or sports or video games or beauty and fashion? Like, are you overly focused on good or bad things that might be preventing you from growing in Christ? From growing in your Bible reading or prayer life? From growing as a missionary in your workplace? From using your spiritual gifts to serve your church family? from learning to fast more so that you can rely on God better, or growing in your love towards people around you. Like, I get it. I lived in this area my entire life. I, too, run the risk of being overly busy and overly committed to the extent that it drains me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Like, we run so hard here in the DMV that it's possible for us, like the disciples, to be so busy with life, and even sometimes so busy with the things of God that we miss out on God in the process. There's a risk of, of, for us to get complacent in our walks with Christ to the point that our faith with Jesus can shift to religious routine or casual Christianity. So brothers and sisters, we need to guard ourselves from the leaven that can lead to unbelief in his power to provide for us, or even the leaven that would give way to distractions that will deviate us from his presence. So perhaps your next step this morning is to consider what you need to drop or do less of so that you can make more time to prioritize your spiritual health. Maybe you need to spend a few extra minutes in God's word. Maybe it's actually opening up God's word this week. Maybe it's leading your children in family worship at home or joining a church group where you dive deeper in your faith and are cared for by others. Whatever it might be, prayerfully consider and seek godly counsel so you can take the necessary steps to grow in your walk with Jesus and begin to see him clearly. And the good news is this, that when we draw near to God, the scripture says God will draw near to us. So there is grace for you today. And here's our last point, point number three, to see Jesus for who he is, you must remember what he has done. Notice during Jesus' rebuke here in verse 17 through 18, he calls the disciples to remember. He reminds them that the feeding of the thousands was was just with a few loaves of bread and some fish. So if he could do that, like how couldn't he feed them with just one loaf of bread? You see, it's easy for us to forget God's faithfulness in our lives because we are forgetful people. That's why we just sang a song, your goodness is running after me. And we repeated that over and over again to remind ourselves Because we can be forgetful people, right? Like just forget about how many times you forgot where you placed your wallet this week. Or how many of you chores you forgot to do. Or how many times you've forgotten to do your homework. Or forgotten to text your friend back. Or forget what your wife told you five minutes ago. I'm guilty of that, y'all. You see, but we're forgetful people because we are not all knowing like God is. So we're constantly, we constantly need to be reminded of God's faithfulness so we can remember to see him for who he is. So this is another reason why it's so important for us to abide in God's presence, to spend time alone with God so we can give God room to remind us of who he is and what he has done in our lives. And this is accomplished especially by meditating and memorizing his word both privately and in community. So this question from Jesus do you not remember? It's a call for us to remember today what we've already seen Jesus do in his word, what we've witnessed him do in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So this is why I love the book of Psalms, because they include certain passages known as historical psalms that contain a recollection of how God proved to be faithful to his people. And the nation of Israel will often <laughs> recite these psalms through public reading of scripture or by singing them together so that all generations could be reminded of what God did for them in the past, but also trust in his ability to do it again. So this is why it's so important for us as the family of God to gather here on Sunday mornings and sing together to God's faithfulness, about God's faithfulness, so we can minister to one another through psalm. This is why it's so important for us as a church family to gather around God's word on Sundays and more intentionally during the week in smaller groups so we can encourage each other in Christ and remind one another how Jesus is at work in our lives. It's part of the way we disciple one another. And it's so interesting to me that none of the disciples mentioned the feeding of the 4,000 when they were discussing the bread problem. No one said what are we freaking out about? Like Jesus just fed a few thousands with a few, lo- a couple thousand with a few loaves, so of course he can feed us with one, right? They failed to do it, and we should learn from their example. We can be like disciples too. Our vision can grow so dim that we fail to remember what God has done. And if we're being honest, sometimes even our time in God's word can begin to feel like it's boring and not very exciting. We can go through seasons in our life of what I call spiritual boredom, when the old stories of the Bible aren't very exciting to us, when spending time with God can feel more like a burden or a duty rather than a joyful act of worship. And it's during these times that we should not distance ourselves from God's presence, but draw even closer to him. So if you're here this morning, with the spiritually dim view of God that is leading you to spiritual boredom, doubt, or even distance, please remember that God's grace is for you and that he loves you. Hold strong and remain faithful even in the dry seasons and God will honor your faithfulness and can restore joy in your walk with him. So the bottom line of today's message is this. Jesus wants you to see him for who he really is. And to see Jesus for who he is, we must look to his word both privately and in community to constantly constantly remember who he is and what he has done. I'm going to close with just this story. A week ago, I witnessed God open the eyes of a man that was spiritually blind. I was sitting in my office having a conversation about his life and how in recent years he began to explore Christianity And it came down to this question for him of whether or not he had responded to the invitation to confess his sins to Jesus and believe in him as his Lord and Savior. So in that moment, I invited that brother to trust Jesus for the first time. And in response to the gospel, God opened his eyes to seeing Jesus for who he is from his heart. And it was absolutely beautiful to witness someone moved from spiritual death to life right in front of my eyes. Praise God. But then on another occasion this week, I spoke with an old friend who reached out to me because they had a serious concern for the spiritual health of their spouse. Their spouse has been following Jesus for a long time, but most recently has begun to question Uh, their salvation and doubt in God's love for them. You could hear the anxiety and concern in my friend's voice as they choked up in tears, explaining the situation and just seeking direction. You know, these two moments reminded me that it's very likely many of you today are either not seeing Jesus properly or not seeing him at all. And the lesson for the Pharisees and for the disciples in Mark chapter 8 is the same for you today. Jesus wants you to see him for who he really is. Whether that's for the first time or a reminder to fix your gaze on him once again. So if you're following Jesus today, my hope is by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would have a twenty twenty vision of Jesus. That you would see him clearly for who he is. Our faithful provider and friend. And if you're not following Jesus, my hope is you would consider the invitation to do so. And if you feel led to make that decision this morning, you can do it right now, right where you're sitting. All you must do is admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin and confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. That you send Jesus, the light of the world, into our present darkness to shine light bright so that we could be saved from the very things that either take our vision away of you, that dim our view of you, that causes us to question or doubt in your goodness and your provision even causes us to think that we are not worthy enough to come in your presence and that may be true. But Jesus, that's why you came to our world to make a way for us to know you as Lord and Savior, to have a personal relationship with you for all of eternity and to enjoy that relationship in community with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. So God, I pray for those who are blinded today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open the eyes of their hearts so that they can see you for who you really are. I pray that you would save them from their present darkness, that you would draw near to them as they draw near to you. And I pray for those with a dim view of you, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage them in their walks today, remind them that you are present with them in the midst of their circumstance. Remind them of your deep love for them, Remind them that your grace is with them every single day of their lives. And Jesus, I pray for those who see with spiritual clarity this morning. God, I praise you for your grace in their lives. I pray, God, that you would empower them and give them the boldness to share the truth of your word, this gospel message, with those who cannot see or remind those who have a dim view of you this morning to see you for who you really are. So Lord Jesus, we need your mercy. And as the psalmist declared in Psalm one nineteen eighteen, 18, open the eyes, open our eyes to your word so that we may contemplate wondrous things and in your instruction. Open our eyes, the eyes of our heart today, Jesus. We pray this in your name.